Happy Sabbath. My daughter is taking care of the piano at the other church because the pianist is gone for a while. And so unfortunately my wife and my oldest daughter and my son can't be here. But we're blessed with the music that we do have this morning. And it's interesting that God enjoys hearing us sing even when we may not think we sound very good. We, we do our best. We don't, we don't want to purposely sound uh, less than what would glorify Him. And yet, I believe that angels of God sing with us. Let's pray as we open up God's Word this morning. Heavenly Father, please teach us to be wholly Yours. Teach us how to honor You. Please bless us as we worship You this morning. Help us understand your word. Forgive our sins. In Jesus' name, amen. Practical worship. Worship is what we're made to do. God has made us to worship him. Revelation 4.11 says, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. We have this need to worship something greater. It doesn't matter what culture you go to in the world, almost without exception. There is going to be, I would say without exception, if you go back far enough in that culture, there's going to be a worship of some sort or form. The only question is, what should we worship? Because humanity has in it, we have in us this desire to worship God. So let's see what the Bible says about worship. Today's topic is practical worship. Let's go to Matthew chapter 18, verse 20. Matthew chapter 18, verse 20. For where two or three, Jesus said, are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. So if we want to worship God in His fullness, wouldn't you say that He should be present in order for us to be able to worship Him? That would make sense, right? For him to be present. And in order for him to be present in a very special way, what do we need to do? We need to fellowship together. We need to gather together, right? That's what the text says. It says, for where two or three are gathered together, there I am in the midst of them, right? And so the first step to worshiping is you need to have someone to worship. Amen? And so this is, obviously you can worship God in your homes, but there's alone in your closet, out in the field or walking, anywhere, anywhere you are you can worship. I can can worship God in my car. And yet, there is something very special about corporate worship that cannot be replaced. And so that's why Jesus said that we should be gathering together. Jesus' custom, as we read in the Scripture reading, in Luke chapter 4, verse 16, was to go to the synagogue 
on the Sabbath day. Now, what does the word synagogue mean? Means gathering. Means gathering place. And so, Jesus' custom on the Sabbath day, this would have been a great place for the Gentile author Luke to insert on the old Jewish day, Jesus went to church. Or on the Sabbath of the Jews. But he didn't say that. He said, on the Sabbath day. He said, that was Jesus' custom. Now, what happened when Jesus went to church that day? Does anyone remember? When he went to church in Luke chapter 4, what did he do? What, what happened at church? That time, let's go to Luke chapter 4. That time they, they heard him read the Scriptures. And it says, verse 17, There was delivered unto him the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, and it was a scroll, he found the place where it was written. And then he quotes Isaiah chapter 61. Isaiah chapter 61. So if you want to hold your finger here and go to Isaiah chapter 61, Jesus read the Scriptures, and you can verify that He did. Should we verify that our teachers and our preachers are speaking the words of Scripture? The Bible says, the heart is deceitful above all things. It says, cursed be the man that trusts in man. So yes, we should verify. And we can verify that this is actually in the Scriptures. Isaiah 61, verse 1, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. He hath sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to them that are bound, verse 2 of Isaiah 61, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all that mourn. So Jesus quoted the Scriptures, and this word anointed, does anyone know what this word is in the Hebrew? The Lord has anointed me. It's the Hebrew word Mashiach, the anointed, the Christ. Okay, that's where, that's where we get the word Christ from, is anointed one. And so Jesus stands up and he says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Now what happened in Luke chapter 3? Does anyone rem remember? Luke chapter 4, Jesus stands up in the temple, or in the, uh, excuse me, in the synagogue, and he reads from Isaiah 61, and he says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. And what happened in Luke chapter 3? He was baptized in Luke chapter 3, verse 21 of Luke chapter 3. Now when all the people were baptized, it came to pass that Jesus also being baptized and praying, the heaven was opened. And the Holy Ghost descended in a bodily shape like a dove upon him. And a voice came from heaven which said, Thou art my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Do you remember Abraham being told to offer up his only beloved son? God came to Abraham and he said, Abraham, take thy son, thy only son, 
And then what did he say to Abraham next? Whom you love. Take thy son, thine only son, whom thou lovest. And Abraham then told his son Isaac as he was traveling to sacrifice him upon Mount, upon Mount Moriah. He said to him, God will provide himself a lamb. And when John the Baptist saw Jesus coming to be baptized, he said, behold what? The Lamb of God, right? He said, behold, the Lamb. And then after he proclaimed him the Lamb, he proclaimed him multiple times uh, when he came to the Jordan. But after he was called the Lamb, then God says, this is my beloved Son. This is my beloved Son. Can you see how those stories dovetail? Take thine only son, and God will provide a lamb. Jesus was this sacrifice, and then the Holy Spirit came upon him, right? And that's what Christ means. Have you ever heard of the word, uh, or the, the, the title for Jesus, Jesus Christ? What is Christ? Christ is not his last name. Christ is his function. He is the anointed one. And so Jesus in Luke chapter 4, he stands up and he says, the Spirit of the Lord, verse 18, is upon me. So he had been anointed in the previous, uh, in the baptism, just previously uh, in, at, at Jordan, as recorded in Luke chapter 3. And then it says, because he has anointed me. In other words, I am the Messiah. He declares himself to be the Messiah. Notice what he says. Verse 21. And he began to say unto them, this day is this scripture fulfilled in your ears. So he quotes Isaiah prophesying of the Messiah and the work that the Messiah would do. And then he says, this day is this fulfilled in your ears. Meaning what? meaning he was calling himself the Messiah. He was claiming to be the Messiah. How did they react to this? Verse 28, And when, and all they in the synagogue, when they heard these things, were filled with wrath. So he talked to them. He talked to them about how, verse 24, no prophet is accepted in his own country. And then he says that in the days of Elijah, many widows were, but... Elijah was sent to a Gentile. And then he says many lepers, in verse 27, were in the time of Elisha, but none of them were cleansed except Naaman the Syrian. And so he is telling them that, look, you may not receive me, but others will receive me. Jesus' custom was to go to church even if he wasn't feeling welcome there. Amen? Someone said, I don't like to go to church. There's... Too much hypocrisy at church. That's like someone saying, I don't like to go to the gym to work out because there's a bunch of unhealthy, unfit people there. Who cares what other people are like? I'm going to where God is. Amen? See, God is where His people gather together. And we can be the difference. We make the church. You know the famous phrase, ask not what your country can do for you, but ask what can you do for your country? You make the country, right? 
Well, Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. And so we should say, most importantly, ask not what your church can do for you, but ask what can you do for your church? And Jesus was willing to work and to labor unappreciated without feeling comfortable sometimes. He was willing to be where God was. When we come together to worship, what does worship mean? Worship in the Hebrew literally means to bow down. So let's go to Psalms 96. I'm sorry, it's Psalms 95, verse 6. Psalms 95, verse 6. The Bible says, O come, let us worship and bow down. So you see that worship and bow down are synonymous there. Okay? Now, what does it mean to bow down? Well, that's taking a, a, an attitude of humility and of surrender. So whenever you have, whenever you have uh, someone bowing down, they are submitting to the one to whom they're bowing to, right? To the one to whom they're bowing. They're submitting. So it means submission. Bowing down before means to submit. And we see this in connection. We see, we, we see, excuse me, serving and being submissive to along with worship in many texts. Let's go to Deuteronomy chapter 4. Deuteronomy chapter 4. And verse 19. It says, And lest thou lift up thine eyes unto heaven, and when thou seest the sun and the moon and the stars, even all the host of heaven, shouldest be driven to worship them and what? And serve them. So here we see synonymous with worship is serving, bowing down, being subservient to, and submissive to. Serving and worshiping are synonymous. Now, some churches, they, they think that the worship time is just the singing time. Worship is, includes singing, but it's not just singing. Worship is much more than that. Worship is offering ourselves as living sacrifices to be used by God for God to take control of, to empower, to bless, so that we can do the works and the acts that God wants us to do. Let's look at chapter 8 of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 19. And it shall be, if thou do at all forget the Lord thy God and walk after other gods, and what? Serve them and worship them. So again, service and worship or obedience. What does the word serve mean? Serve means to, to work. To, to do as you are commanded, basically. You are a servant of 
the one who is your master. And so here, worship is combined with service. The same in Deuteronomy chapter 11, verse 16. Take heed to yourselves that your heart be not deceived and that you turn aside and serve other gods and worship them. When we come into God's house, we should come in with a prayerful heart, asking God to see if there be any wicked way in us and to lead us in the way everlasting. We should be seeking for holiness. We should be seeking for the presence of God to change us. Jesus came in order that we might have the new mind, the new birth, and that the kingdom of God might dwell in us. And yet the people that he came to save were looking just for the external advantages of being Christians instead of seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then all these things would be added. We all have needs, but primarily what we come for when we come to the house of God is that God may transform us, that we would come face to face with God, that we would be able to express our gratitude, our adoration to him, and in turn, that we would be transformed so that we can serve him. Worship is service to God. Let's look at 1 Samuel 15 to see an example of this in the life of Saul. 1 Samuel chapter 15. God had given Saul specific instruction on what he was to do. And we'll start in 15 verse 3. God said, Now go and smite Amalek and utterly destroy all that they have and spare them not, but slay both man and woman, infant and suckling, ox and sheep, camel, and donkey. So God gave very specific instruction to Saul. Verse 10 says, Then came the word of the Lord unto Samuel, saying, It repenteth me that I have set up Saul to be king, for he is turned back from following me and hath not performed my commandments. And it grieved Samuel, and he cried unto the Lord all night. Now, does God expect us to follow what he tells us to do? Of course he does, right? Why? He's not just making breath, right, and air. Uh, he, he, there's a reason why God tells us to follow him. We see this from the beginning of the Bible to the end of the Bible. His revelation says, Blessed are those that do his commandments, for they shall have right to the tree of life. Revelation 14, 12, Here are they that keep the commandments of God. The, you know, those that have the endurance, the endurance of the saints. They keep the commandments of God. They have the faith of Jesus right? As well as keeping the commandments. And so from beginning to end, we see that God expects obedience from his people. So it repented God. He was sad that Saul, he, he decided that Saul would be no, no more king. Verse 12, when Samuel rose early to meet Saul in the morning, it was told Samuel saying, Saul came to Carmel and behold, he set him up a place and has gone about and passed on and gone down to Gilgal. 
And Samuel came to Saul, and Saul said unto him, Blessed be thou of the Lord. I perform the commandment of the Lord. And Samuel said, What means then this bleeding of the sheep in mine ears and the lowing of the oxen which I hear? And Saul said, They have brought them from the Amalekites, for the people spared the best of the sheep and of the oxen to sacrifice unto the Lord thy God, and the rest we have utterly destroyed. So Saul was making excuses. He was saying, the people did this when really he was the king, right? He could have overruled the people. He didn't do that, though. And this seems to be just a flat-out lie, basically. Verse verse 16. Then Samuel said unto Saul, Stay, and I will tell thee what the Lord hath said to me this night. And he said unto him, Say on. And Samuel said, When thou wast little in thine own sight, wast thou not made the head of the tribes of Israel, and the Lord anointed thee king over Israel? What we can slip into very easily in our Christian experience is we come into contact with God. God blesses us, and we seem to think that he's no more so particular about us following exactly what he tells us to do. Somehow, we become comfortable, you know, Familiarity breeds contempt sometimes. God has blessed us, and then suddenly we think that we don't need to follow through on exactly what he's told us to do. Saul started out with the fervent heart, but he got corrupted. Verse 18, And the Lord sent thee on a journey and said, Go and utterly destroy the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they be consumed. Wherefore then didst thou not obey the voice of the Lord, but didst fly upon the spoil, and didst evil in the sight of the Lord? And Saul said unto Samuel, Yea, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord, and I have gone the way which the Lord sent me, and have brought Agag the king of Amalek, and have utterly destroyed the Amalekites. Didn't God say, kill everyone? And yet he's still insisting, I've done everything that God has said. It's like, this judge was uh, judging one of these uh, uh, Nazi war criminals. It's recorded in the book, A Thousand Shall Fall. And this Nazi war criminal kept on denying everything, even though there was all this evidence that he was guilty of these crimes. I mean, there was all these witnesses and written records and everything, and, and the guy just kept saying, no, I didn't do it. No, absolutely, you got the wrong guy. <laughs> and the judge finally said, You know, you remind me of this man that was caught leaving a motorcycle factory. And as he was leaving, they asked him, why are you taking that motorcycle motor out of this factory? And he said, what motorcycle motor? They said, the one on your shoulder. Oh, there's a motorcycle motor on my shoulder? I didn't notice that. We can be so stubborn sometimes and we can make so many excuses for ourselves. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And here Saul is so, he's so twisted in his thinking that he is able to continue justifying or trying to justify himself when clearly he didn't do what God told him to do. And then again he blames others, verse 21, But the people took of the spoil, sheep and oxen, the chief of the things which should have been utterly destroyed, to sacrifice unto the Lord thy God in Gilgal. Sometimes we assign good motives to the bad things that we do. 
you know, well, I know that I need to break God's Sabbath, but I'm doing it because I need to support my family. Um, I know that, you know, it's wrong to lie, but if I didn't lie, then this would have happened to me. You know, and I, and I can't, you know, I had to cheat on that test because, you know, otherwise I'd fail the course and then, you know, I'd make my mom sad. <laughs> I mean, you know, you can make an excuse for anything, right? But Samuel said, verse 22, Hath the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in what? As in obeying the voice of the Lord. Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to hearken than the fat of rams. So true worship is more than just a form. It's more than just speaking. It's more than just saying nice words. Look at the nice words of Saul. Verse 13, Blessed be thou of the Lord. He said beautiful things about Samuel. And yet, really, the heart was not right. And so when we come to worship, it's a time that, yes, it is joyful, but it's only joyful as we first enter that, into that, that experience of confession, of humbling our souls before God and putting away that which is between us and God, asking Him to cleanse us, and then we can have freedom in Christ. Amen? True worship, Psalm 66, 18. tells us in order for us to have true worship, we need to confess our sins and repent of, it, of them. Psalm 66.18 says, If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. That's a very serious statement right there. If I regard iniquity in my heart. Now, all of us make mistakes, Right? But there is a difference between an, a, a mistake that's accidental and one that we know is wrong and we premeditate, right? Even in courts of law in this, you know, in this world, there's a difference between premeditation, something that is willful, and something that is accidental. The things that are accidental, we don't know. You know, for example, we, we didn't know the Bible said a certain thing or we, we didn't understand God's uh, requirement in a certain respect. God is very merciful, Right? He judges everybody according to the light that they have been given. And, you know, it can be as far as, you know, being kind to people um, and, and the way that we relate to people that, that are unkind to us. And sometimes we're a little too sharp or we're a little too vengeful. We don't realize it, but then God starts to convict us. Hey, you need to be more like Jesus. You need to be more meek. But it's not like we started out saying, well, I'm going to be anti-Christ today and I'm going to be hateful to everybody. <laughs> okay, Those are things that are, you know, God is sanctification. It, we're, we're becoming changed in His image. However, we cannot regard it. Once we realize something is sin, if we hold on to that, we're not okay with God. The Bible says that sin separates us. So that needs to be confessed and we need to have that struggling experience of Jacob. I will not let you go until you bless me. Please help me have the victory over this thing. And by the way, it's not a sin to be tempted. Amen? You can't stop birds from flying over your head, but you can keep them from making nests in your hair. And so being tempted with a certain thing doesn't mean that you're guilty of it. And what Satan will try to do is say, well, you really want it, and so you may as well just go ahead and do it because you feel like doing it anyway. That's a lie from Satan. And we should resist that. 
because there is victory in Christ, and just because we're tempted, even even in some of the you know grosser sins of of, of Scripture, you know it talks about fornication and and uh, you know perversion, and you know the Bible talks about homosexuality. It's not necessarily a sin to be tempted to lust after other people that you're not allowed to be with. It, temptation is not the same. It's when we choose to dwell on it. Amen. That's the problem. And we need to turn away from it when it's presented to us. But just because someone has inclinations to something doesn't mean that they automatically are lost or they have sinned. It's if you choose to entertain that and to act on that. Does that make sense? hope so because um, people can get discouraged if they think that, well, if I'm tempted, then that means that I'm sinful because everyone is tempted but we need to lay aside in order to have true worship we need to lay aside our sin now we need to expect great things when we come to worship in the gathering jesus is here i mean it's like a an amazing thing that the creator of the universe through his spirit is here to bless us do you come to church expecting a blessing every time i hope so and i hope you set that standard high I hope you're like, Lord, I want my life to change this Sabbath day. I want to come in contact with you in a way that I've never come into contact so that I can honor and serve you this week. One more story and then I need to leave to Ardmore. But uh, let's look at 2 Kings chapter 2. 2 Kings chapter 2. Verse 1, And it came to pass when the Lord would take up Elijah into heaven by a whirlwind, that Elijah went with Elisha from Gilgal. And Elijah said unto Elisha, Tarry here, I pray thee, for the Lord hath sent me to Bethel. And Elisha said unto him, As the Lord liveth, and as thy soul liveth, I will not leave thee. So they went down to Bethel. So Elisha was the servant of Elijah. The Bible says that he poured water on his hands. And we are the servants of of Jesus. We serve him as Elisha served Elijah. Now, Elisha was not willing to be separated from Elijah. And we need to be so committed to staying around Jesus that we're willing to stay with him for as long as possible. Amen? So, we know that he's he's here when, when two or three are gathered together. And so, we need to be here when two or three are gathered together. Amen? Verse 3, And the sons of the prophets that were at Bethel came forth to Elisha and said unto him, Knowest not, knowest thou, excuse me, that, thy, that the Lord will take away thy master from thy head today? And he said, Yes, I know it. Hold ye your peace. Don't worry about it. I'm going to be okay. And you'll see why he's going to be okay. He is thinking that he needs to receive a blessing from Elijah. Verse 4, And Elijah said unto him, Elisha, tarry here, I pray thee, for the Lord hath sent me to Jericho. And he said, As the Lord liveth, and as thy soul liveth, I will not leave thee. So they came to Jericho. And the sons of the prophets that were at Jericho came to Elisha and said unto him, Knowest thou that the Lord will take away thy master from thy head today? And he answered, Yes, I know it. Hold ye your peace. You know, sometimes when God has sent laborers to work among us, he sent ministers or evangelists or leaders. They're not sent forever. 
Because it is in serving ourselves that we become capable of leading. And God wants us to develop leadership skills, and He will bless us with ministries so that when our leaders go somewhere else, all will be well. Amen? And so Elisha is not concerned about this. Verse 6, again he says, I will not leave you. He wanted to stay and get a blessing, and they too went on. Verse 8, And Elijah took his mantle and wrapped it together and smote the Jordan, the waters, and they were divided hither and thither so that they too went over on dry ground. This is amazing. God's power is great. Have you seen miracles in your life? I have seen miracles in my life. And I know that God is real. But here's the thing. When I read stories like this, do you know what I'm thinking? I'm not thinking, wow, Elijah must have been a pretty awesome guy. He must have been perfect and sinless. I'm thinking, Lord, please work in my life as you worked in Elijah's life. Because the Bible tells us that Elijah was a man subject to like passions and difficulties as we are. God is not a respecter of persons. If he is willing to bless someone, he's willing to bless everyone. One thing I don't like is when all my kids ask me for the same thing. I don't like that. When one of them asks, Daddy, can I eat this? Can I have this treat or whatever or this fruit or whatever it is? And I tell one of them yes, and I hate it when all three of them come to me afterwards and say, Daddy, can I? Daddy, can I? Daddy, can I? And I told them, Daddy is happy if all of you have what one of you is having. <laughs> Go right ahead. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, I don't need to tell you that. Okay? I love my kids. I want them all to have that. Amen? Now, when I say I hate it, it doesn't mean I get, I get angry at them. You understand? What I'm saying is I, I want them to understand this, this, this fact. And plus, there's just no, it's just a waste of time for me. I, I you know, I, Go ahead. If one of you is having it, all of you can have it. And that's how it is with God. Is I read these stories, amazing stories, but I don't just say, oh, wow, far away, you know, in a far away time, in a far away place with a very different individual, God did this. No, God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And I want this to happen in my life. And it came to pass as they were gone over, verse 9, that Elijah sent unto Elisha, Ask what I shall do for thee. Wow, wow, wow. A blank check. Amazing. But you know, Jesus is greater than Elijah. And Jesus is here where two or three are gathered. We should be in prayer. When we come in, we should be talking to God. We should be praying for whoever's leading out. If the preacher's making no sense, pray for your preacher that he makes sense. You know, if someone is irritating you, God could be telling you to pray for them. You know, sometimes I'm driving in the highway and someone will cut me off. And you know, the first instinct is to get upset and say, how dare they? Don't they know I have somewhere important to be? And often this thought has come across my mind. Love your enemies, do good to them they hate you, and pray for them. And I pray for them, and as I pray for them, God brings to my mind, that's the reason why I had them pull in front of you. They need your prayers. And I'm rebuked. Because my first instinct was, oh, come on. 
<laughs> Why would, what are you thinking? <laughs> okay. And so we should be prayerful when we come together, praying for each other, praying for God's spirit. It's a blank check that God is giving to us every time we meet with him. I mean, God has all this. You know how much I wish I could give my kids that I don't have? I would love, I would love to, to take care of them more. And we all have this desire, right? If you being evil, love to give good gifts to your children. How much more shall your Father which is in heaven give the Holy Spirit to them that ask Him? He gives, Elijah gives Elisha a blank check and every time we come together, we have a blank check. Notice this quotation. I, I had this printed, I had this ready to print out and I didn't print it out for this, for everyone here. Uh, I'm sorry, but, um, I didn't this time. But, um, this is an amazing phrase right here. Oh my. This is, this is testimonies for the church. And I thought I underlined that part, but I don't have it. But basically, uh, basically we have a blank check, check written to us, a spiritual check. And all the blessings that we need, we can receive if we ask and expect. If we ask, seek, and knock, we will receive, find, and enter through. God will bless us. So ask of me. And Elisha said, I pray thee, let a double portion of thy spirit be upon me. Think about that. Think about everything Elijah did. He prayed and there was no rain for three and a half years. God provided for him at the brook Cherith and then he made the oil and the flour continue all the way through the famine in Zarephath. And then Elijah prayed and fire came down and then he ran. Oh, first he disposed of 450 prophets of Baal at the brook Kishon down at the base of Carmel. And then he ran for 25 miles in front of Ahab's chariot. You know, God used him, right? And Elisha asks for double. <laughs> he doesn't say, give me the same spirit that you have. He says, I want two times as much. Elisha wasn't greedy. It's just available. Amen? If it's available and it's going to go to waste, someone may as well be blessed. And so the blessings are here for each individual member, for each person that says, I'm not going to ask what my church can do for me. I'm going to ask what God can help me to do for the church. God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. So that when there's no leader here, everything's going to be okay because the Holy Spirit has empowered and Brother Manny is preaching twice as good of a sermon as Pastor Rich ever did. Amen? Verse 10, and he said, Thou hast asked a hard thing. If thou see me when I am taken from thee, it shall be so unto thee. But if not, it shall not be so. Verse 11, and it came to pass, as they still went on and talked, that behold, there appeared a chariot of fire and horses of fire, and parted them both asunder, and Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven, just like Jesus went up into heaven. He went up into heaven, and Elisha saw it, 
And then it says, verse 13, He took up also the mantle of Elijah that fell back from him and went back. Elijah said, I don't need this anymore. I'm going to heaven. And he threw his mantle down. And he picked it up. And he stood by the bank of the Jordan. And he took the mantle of Elijah that fell from him and smote the waters and said, Where is the Lord God of Elijah? And I want you to say that. I want you to say that with every Christian that you emulate and with the example of Christ before you, where is the Lord God of Mark Finley, Doug Batchelor, of the pioneers, of the apostles, of Jesus Christ Himself? Jesus said, Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father in me. He that believeth on me, the works that I do shall he do also. And greater works than these shall he do, because I go unto my Father. Greater works. Have faith, brother and sister. Have faith that God hears your prayers. That He wants to use you. He wants to transform you. Make sure you comply with the conditions that are plainly set out in His Word. But having fulfilled those conditions of repentance, coming to God with a a heart that is open and sensitive to God, and, and confessing your sins and trusting in the sacrifice, then believe, ask, and you will receive. Don't be the same Christian this week that you were last week.